In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies, it is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, one of the most bizarre paranormal incidents of the 21st century, the M6 Paris car crashes, an update. The morgue technician was adamant that the bodies were tampered with, injected with something. One of the bodies remained untampered because they'd taken blood samples before a, an autopsy. You know, that, that's a strange one, and to set that up as a hoax takes a lot of doing. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. That's over 350 episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, Go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Colin Hall is a security consultant and researcher who's investigated two unusual car accidents in England and France, which may have paranormal connections. He's the author of Fact or Fiction, The Paris and M6 Crashes. Hey, Colin, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Oh, very good. Thanks, Richard. And uh, as ever, thanks for having me on the show. 
How long has it been since Fact or Fiction came out? Probably about six years, actually. Yes, probably about six years now. And as we're about to discover, the story lives on and new wrinkles continue to develop. But first, it's been over a year since you and I talked, and there there are, I'm guessing, many people who are not familiar with the M6 Paris crashes. Let's go back to the beginning and just give us the who, why, what, where, and how. Okay, well, I mean, for me, it all started when I um, was doing a bit of research into a job I was working on. And I came across some reports about an incident on the M6 near Birmingham in England, um, which piqued my interest because there was a lot of talk about bright lights and occupants disappearing from vehicles. Um, it, It kind of drifted off a little bit. And then a few months later, more reports surfaced, this time about a crash in Paris, namely the Paris paranormal crash. So I had the M6 paranormal crashes that became known, and the Paris paranormal crash. Um, And the writer of these reports, Mark Collins, was suggesting there was a link between both incidents. Um, Both had bright lights, both had issues with occupants on the M6 in Birmingham. They apparently disappeared. Uh, In Paris, they momentarily disappeared. So it really got my sort of mind ticking away at that point, because here we had two incidents not so far away from each other, that both had striking similarities, but both remained unanswered. And give us the Uh, timeline. This was 2010, I believe. Yeah, it was 2010 when I first spotted these reports. Um, And then later on during 2010, uh, the Paris reports came out. I think it was about a full five-month time lag. Um, And then after that, there were reports or further reports um, about strange incidents in Paris more than anything. There was talk about bodies being tampered with in a morgue at the Petit Salpetria Hospital in Paris. Um, and again, more reports about these people disappearing and then reappearing suddenly. With regards to the M6 crash, there was the release of some audio, police audio, which we, we played on my podcast that you had secured and sent to me. Tell me about that. Yeah, this, this, um, this audio um, was allegedly from the actual crash. It was the um, first responders to the scene. Um, and it was very short and, and very abrupt, but it, it ended distinctly with them suggesting that there were no people in the vehicles at the front of the crash, which would kind of endorse what the reports were suggesting. And you attempted to determine the veracity or the validity of that that piece of audio tape. Did you have any luck with that? Uh, not not a great deal. Um, I, I had one chap that wrote in very kindly um, and suggested that the terminology, I think it was RTA versus RTC, I think it was, was incorrect. And he felt that on that basis that it, it was actually a fake. Um, but that was actually the only solid piece of feedback I got. I got nowhere with the authorities whatsoever. No one was willing to talk about it. And RTA versus RTC, explain what that means. I think it's road traffic accident versus road traffic crash, I think it was. I can't remember the exact um, uh, differential, but he said there was a distinct change uh, a couple of years earlier where they didn't use RTA anymore. Uh, I believe the key word in that was accident um, because they've removed the word accident because everyone believes that there is a, a blame situation or a fault. So therefore, RTA is now inappropriate and no longer used. 
So based on that alone, the they're judging or this individual was judging this audio to be a fraud, in other words. Um, that was his suggestion. I mean, you know, I think we have to understand that policemen or, or any first responder under pressure uh, may well use old terminology, especially if they've been in the job for several years. Um, so whether that was a one-off, um, you know, we have no way of knowing because we don't know who the officers were. Right, right. But do we, have we established firmly that this car pile-up did take place on the M6 on the date uh, given? Um, the one thing I did establish was around about November the 4th or 5th, um, the previous year, which is where they're suggesting this incident took place or when, there was definitely some kind of a crash or an accident on the M6. Um, I delved back through, I think there were some old newspaper reports, something very minor, but nothing substantial, certainly nothing like the reports that Mark Collins was pushing out at the time. Now, whether that was because um, it was dusted under the, the carpet, so to speak, I don't know. But there was certainly an element of the fact that something happened. There was definitely a crash, but not to the severity that Mark Collins was alleging in his reports. So explain who Mark Collins is. Well, Mark Collins is probably one of the, the first of the um, the characters that seems to be sort of circling the story. He's He's a journalist, a freelance journalist who's based in and around Manchester. Um, very little is known about him. I suspect he is um, an amateur hack, um, somebody who stumbled across this. I believe in an interview he did on another blog, he alleged that his brother was at the front or near the front of the crash, which is why he knew about it. Um, and, and that is all I know. So he goes as Mark Collins, freelance journalist. He's on Twitter, but that is about it. Very little communication at all. And again, just more details on the, the M6 crash. So there were reports of uh, flashes of light, uh, uh, flames going across the roadway, the, yeah. the lead car or cars in the pileup were seen to be, were found to be completely vacant. There was nobody in the car. Nobody in any of the vehicles at all. No, that's correct. Um, I, I'm pretty sure also that audio clip referred to something on the tarmac as well, um, which kind of tied in with the fact that there was this uh, allegation of a, a, a bolt of light effectively that shot across the um, the motorway. Right. So then the the Paris crash, which happens, uh, what is it, f uh, four months later? What was the timing four on that? around about April of the following year, so that would make it, yeah, about 2010. Um, the Paris crash was very similar. Again, a bright light was seen. But this time, um, the witnesses to this crash claim that the occupants of the vehicle momentarily disappeared, or the occupants of the two vehicles, should I say. So um, we have two or three uncorroborated testimonies to suggest these people were in the vehicles, and they're not, and then apparently after the crash rested, i.e. the cars had come to a complete halt, uh, there were people in the vehicles again. So they, as if they flitted in and out of reality? Well, yeah, yeah, uh, yes, I mean, take it as you will, yes. I mean, you know, this, this was something that was, I believe, um, heavily um, 
uh, the doc, uh, what was his name? Uh, Roger Silverton, Detective Roger Silverton, uh, disputed this claim heavily. But apparently, it was exactly as you say. People flitted in and out of time or reality, and that was it. And the the, the location within Paris of the crash was it in and around the Eiffel Tower? It was. I narrowed it down to the Pont de Lena, um, which is the approach bridge towards the Eiffel Tower. All right. And again, is there mainstream media confirmation that this crash took place? I couldn't find it. And so the source of this crash was the, 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 the source of the story? Was it also Mark Collins? It was indeed, yes. During mm. that year, he put out a series of about 10 reports um, of various allegations around both crashes, and he was the sole source of the information. That information then proliferated across the web, which is why I bumped into it. And how many fatalities in the Paris crash again? Um, none mentioned. None, no fatalities at either incident, apart from the fact the people on the M6 allegedly disappeared and were never to be seen again. But there were bodies taken to a morgue. Yes. In Paris. Yes, there were. Sorry, there were the bodies taken to the Petit Salpetriere, um, and that is where things got even weirder, shall we say. Yes. The closed-circuit television cameras recorded someone on an elevator uh, going down to the morgue and then supposedly tampering with the bodies. Tell me about yes. that. Yes. Uh, this... <laughs> This is another one that's very strange. There is video evidence. I mean, I've, I've seen it, I've, I've you know, posted it out myself, of uh, a chap who was in the hospital. Um, we don't know if it was at around the same time, but this person had something that looked like a syringe on them um, and was caught in the morgue tampering with the bodies. Now, this individual, has he been identified? Um, the name that I have found out up until now is a name Steve Garner, but I've never been able to corroborate that at all. Steve Garnet. Garner. Garner. But I have no way of verifying whether that's correct or not. All I have is a visual image and a name that I've tracked down. All right. And is Mark, uh, is Mr. Collins still reporting on this or has he gone silent? Uh, he's not reporting. He, he seems to be very... Um, shall we say, happy to be involved um, in anything online, any sort of social media interaction. So whether that's because it feathers his own nest or not, I don't know. Um, but that that's the limit of it. And have you tried to get a hold of him? Oh, yeah, numerous occasions. Any success? Uh, none whatsoever. So what do you make of this? I mean, you wrote fact or fiction, the yeah. Paris and M6 crashes. Uh, what... What are you thinking? Is this a hoax? Is this legitimate? Um, I, I've always remained very open about it. I've always said that the potential of it being a hoax, um, which is why I put the quote of Nick Pope so prominently in the book, being perpetrated by one person, is totally plausible. Totally plausible. Where it didn't quite add up was as I started getting further and further into this, more bits of information started to arise or come into the, the public domain. So, for example, the interview with the morgue technician, 
um, who was adamant that the bodies were tampered with. Uh, they were injected with something. Um, one of the bodies remained um, untampered because they'd taken blood samples before a, an autopsy. You know, that, that's a strange one. And to set, set that up as a hoax takes a lot of doing. Did you, you know, were you the one that interviewed the, mor- the morgue technician? I, I was, yeah. That, right. that was done over Skype uh, a few years ago. Um, yeah, very strange. So we don't have mainstream media reports about a crash or fatalities, but we do have a mortician, or uh, sorry, a morgue technician on record as saying, yes, there were bodies and they were tampered with. Yes, but none of that is particularly unusual because if you look at how these things happen, if something is slightly unusual or something is um, mysterious or they cannot explain, then things do not tend to get reported. So, uh, tell me about, is it ZWT or ZMT Jameson, the author of One of 26? Yeah, ZWT Jameson. Um, Interesting character. I I conducted an online interview with him um, via Twitter a few, well, several months ago. Um, His claiming is that he has taken all of the witnesses that have come forward and put them into a book. Um, He's used their statements um, and then colored it with his own narrative to create this book, One in 26. Um, And that's about all I really know of him. And one of 26, is that referring to the witnesses? Um, No, I don't actually know. I mean, having read the book extensively, it alludes to the fact there are 26 people uh, that are part of this story. So that that is all I actually know. I've read the book several times now, and it talks of several people being supplanted into this time from the future. Um, And they are here. Initially, they were here to find a, a vaccine for a pandemic. And this is where it got interesting. And this is why I kept reading the book again and again and again. When we spoke, uh, which was over a year ago, I think, the word pandemic and coronavirus were not in our vocabulary. Correct. So I then looked at the book again and I thought, and I think I've mentioned it to you, I said, I feel the book isn't actually a work of fiction. It's almost a work of warning because of this weird skew about a pandemic. Is it an, was it initially presented as a work of fiction? It's always been presented as a work of fiction. Always been presented. Um, as far as I can tell, whenever I looked online, any online bookshop that had it, it was always presented as fiction. There was never one point that it was presented as factual. But where my little online interview with Jameson kind of fitted in, what he was saying is he took these statements from these witnesses and then added his own narrative. He said, and I could not call it fact because I cannot corroborate what they told me. So again, these witnesses are, some of them claiming that they were time travelers. Do I have that right? Well, yes. Um, (laughs) The crux of the whole thing is it discusses the fact that people were supplanted into this time from the future um, and part of their remit was to gather the, you know, the necessary ingredients to create a vaccine 
to halt the spread of a virus in the future. And the um, the substance that they were seeking, perhaps in the morgue, then was what an uh, antibodies or something like that. I'm not sure actually about that. I'm not sure because it de- it never makes clear what the compounds were. Um, but that that is a very plausible point to make. But bear in mind that anything that happened allegedly happened about 10 years ago. So whether there would be valid antibodies at that point in time, but then we don't know what virus they're talking about. So I don't know. Right, right. And and let's go back to the virus. Uh, again, these are the statements from some of the 26 people involved in this story that Jameson interviewed. Are they, yes. did they talk specifically about a coronavirus or just a pandemic? Um, they talked about a pandemic. Um, and this was, I, I did a bit of research before we got involved today um, about some of the steps that coronavirus has taken over the last sort of six months. And I looked at two or three things. The, the first thing that, that was interesting was the timeline of how COVID has evolved. And the second thing was how in the book it talks about one individual, a chap by the name of Kaliuk, who is this all-consuming and powerful person that controls everything that goes on. And then I drew parallels with with what is happening currently in the world and what we have in China. Um, And I started to, my mind started to tick whether it was right or wrong and think, well, there are distinct parallels here, very distinct parallels. Um, And if you look at how China has, in effect, uh, maybe weaponized is a strong word, but in my opinion, China has weaponized the virus. And you look at how the main character in the book has weaponized the virus to control their way of life or how they wish. There are there are distinct parallels between the two. And how did Jameson track down these individuals? Do we know? No. It, one of the one of the um, key things about this is it, it was a very formalized interview with a very specific set of questions uh, with a very specific set of answers Um, and and that was it apparently talked about online contact and and that was it well he did talk about online contact and and that was it so did they contact him or did or or if not how was he able to to locate them um i don't know it's the honest answer richard i actually don't know is there any connection between jameson and the original uh, reporter or story writer, Mark Collins? None that I'm aware of. Um, again, this is something that I, I simply don't know, but none that I'm aware of. Um, one thing I will say about Jameson is that he is involved in something else in Hollywood. So that does give the illusion or the, um, the alibi that he is actually some form of a writer. So there is something out there that I, I've tracked down and found and thought, okay, this guy is perhaps legitimate. So let's see if we can piece this together. Uh, if the, some of these 26 individuals covered in Jameson's book are to be believed, individuals from the future were sent back to 2010. Before that, they were Be- sent back as infants, as children. Oh, as infants? Ah. Yes. They were sent back, uh, and again, I'm praising from what I've read, they were sent back in the late 20th century. 
um, the last few decades as children. They were brought up as children, grew and then were activated at the correct point in time where they could be of use to the mission. And the mission is to forestall a pandemic, right? That is part of the mission. The other part of the mission was to um, stall um, a bunch of other people that have used the timeline to come back and secure what they need to escape planet Earth, be it as it may. So, again, if these people were sent back to the late 20th century, what did they have to do with the crash? Well, that's exactly what I've asked. Now, of course, at the age that they would have been in 2010, they could have been involved in the crash. Certainly, one of the protagonists was involved in the crash by name in the book. Whether that's true or whether that's not, I don't know. One of them, Steve Garner, was definitely uh, in both crashes, on the M6 and in Paris. Ah, and this is the gentleman that was caught on closed-circuit television in the morgue in the hospital in Paris. Exactly. But unfortunately, you can't, I can't find out anyone of that identity. But yes, that's correct. So what part of what he's saying ties up. Because if he's saying people were supplanted when they were younger, and then obviously they grew up, and then they were activated, and at this point in time, they get involved in the crash in Paris, we catch our main suspect on the CCTV in a lift. But what is that flash of light? What is that all about? Well, according to the book, it's some kind of, um, uh, the terminology that they use is it's like a stinger. And what it does is it apparently cuts a beam through time using light, high-powered light, uh, and then on one side is one time, and on the other side is another time. More of my conversation with Colin Hall when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. I don't need to tell you how important building and sustaining a healthy immune system is these days. And just in time, my good friends at Get The Tea are offering a special package called the Immune Builder. You get one month's supply of Life Change Super Tea. That's eight bags. One bottle of BioAstin. That's 75 capsules. Now, BioAstin or Astaxanthin is known as one of nature's most powerful antioxidants and provides a wide range of impressive health benefits. The Immune Builder also includes one bottle of potent sea wild Alaskan sockeye omegas. That's 90 gel caps. And one copy of the book, Natural Astaxanthin, Hawaii's Super Nutrient by Dr. William Sears. There's so much more than tea at getthetea.com. Get your immune builder right now. Not available in any store. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your purchases ship for free. The Immune Builder from getthetea.com. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Colin Hall is here with an update on the Paris M6 crashes, and we were discussing this individual, Steve Garner, who you believe is the suspect 
who was discovered tampering with two bodies in the morgue in the Paris hospital after the car crash there. So if Steve Garner was on the M6 going somewhere, someone from another timeline was trying to stop him, is that the idea? That's the idea. They caused the crash. They're trying to prevent Steve Garner from, okay. Now, the the one bit of interesting evidence is the mere fact this character is totally untraceable kind of adds a little bit of credence to what, what may have been going on. In other words, he's returned to his original timeline? Maybe. Maybe. I can't find him. So then he's involved in another crash in Paris. Again, several months later. Several months later. Yeah. Is he on... Are we then to believe he was on his way to the morgue? Uh, and who are these other people that were th- these these victims of the crash? Uh, what relation to, to Steve Garner? Well, again, reading from what the book says, these people were caught up in whatever they were caught up in. Garner was wrapped up in this crash um, and was then sent back into the morgue to tamper with the bodies. The one thing we do know from our morgue technician is those bodies were tampered with and the one thing we can do is we can place Steve Garner actually in the morgue because we have the CCTV footage in the lift how were you able to uh, sorry how were you able to identify this individual as a Steve Garner um, well the book to be fair Mm -hmm. uh, is is the first and most important thing I've been reading like the Bible Um, so that that's the name and that's the name I've been using ever since, and I have no reason to disbelieve. Now, it probably is an alias of some description, but until I get another name, I'll still keep trying to pursue that name. And did you run the the photograph through uh, police records, public records? Uh, public. Very difficult to run it through police because to go to the police with that and say, I believe this man's a potential time traveler, probably wind up getting laughed out of any building that I know. <laughs> so I, I, I do have a couple of friends um, who, whose eyebrows were raised when I asked the question, um, but they were reticent, shall we say, to, to help. And when you ran the, the, fa- the, the face through public records, anything? Nothing at all. I mean, I did a, a thorough search of all the, um, the mainstream press from both set locations around both times nothing at all there's nothing that came up as a photo fit or anything like that at all well I, I don't know what you call it in Britain but in the US they call it the DMV the Department of Motor Vehicles we here we have the uh, the Ministry of Transportation that issues driver's licenses anything there um, they're a bit more strict over here we have something called GDPR which came in about a year and a half ago so it's very difficult to go prodding around in terms of that kind of record without well, without potentially having a police warrant and I simply don't have that. So tell me, uh, any other of, of, the, of the 26 uh, individuals involved in this case that Jameson interviewed uh, of interest or of importance? Well, there was one guy by the name of Anton who was based in France, in Paris, who was apparently involved in this crash as well. In fact, he was, according to this book, the, the driver of the vehicle that crashed into the other vehicle. So we have two names, but we don't have a second name. We just have an Anton. And how many of these 
26 individuals are allegedly time travelers. Well, according to, like I say, according to this book, those two definitely were. Anton and Garner. Uh, Anton and Garner, yes. Right. And the others are just innocent bystanders, innocent victims? I think it's a combination of innocent bystanders, but there are also suggestions that there are people here that are helping. Um, this detective, Roger Silverton, is definitely not a time traveler, uh, but his name keeps popping up all over the place. Um, so he was an interesting character. There's another character called Roy, um, who was apparently a specialist in, um, well, uh, tracking extraterrestrial radio signals. He apparently was sort of on the scene as well. But again, this is this is part of the book, so I don't know what part of it is fact, what part of it is fiction, if, if anything is fact at all. Tell me a bit more about this detective, <clears throat> detective, is it Silverton? Roger Silverton, yes. Well, according to the book, this chap was um, part of some kind of flying squad in London, uh, got involved in a drug case and sadly shocked somebody dead um, during a drugs raid um, and then was passed out uh, and wound up becoming some sort of um, specialist in uh, UFO and disinformation studies. Uh, hmm. Disinformation being very much at the forefront of what was said about this guy. And there was some interesting things about that. There was a terminology about the M6 crash, which was very believable, actually. They said that you know they would use national interest um, as, as a way of getting rid of any press interest. Um, which which kind of rings true because that obviously gets used quite a lot as we, as we both know. And Silverton, any any uh, success tracking down him? No, not so. I mean, uh, there are several Detective Roger Silvertons, but no one that um, was a willing to talk and b would in any way, shape, or form confirm any of this ever existed. Okay, so now tell me about Roy, the uh, the alien, the extraterrestrial signal analyst. Well, apparently Roy met Silverton up in Scotland. Roy was um, doing some tracking and he tracked something on, I think it was Ganymede, one of Jupiter's moons. Um, Silverton was apparently enthralled by this guy and he kind of came along for the ride. But it was his knowledge of... Um, you know, the extraterrestrial and the potential of it that kind of, um, if you like, signed him up to the cause. Hmm. And there's a, there was another individual you mentioned who I gather is kind of the villain in this story. Kaliuk. Yes. Yes, and this is where I draw the parallels and why I said to you about the book almost being a warning. This this is some sort of totalitarian leader from the future who, who basically is, is my way or the highway. Um, the guy rules with an iron fist um, and controls everything around him. And those that speak out wind up in um, basically in internment camps or are locked away in quarantine zones. And are we to believe that, that, that he is here among us now or did he go back to his timeline? Um, as far as I can tell, there's no suggestion that he was ever here. Um, but this is where I drew the, the parallels with COVID-19, what's happening in China at the moment. Right, right. Um, which is what made it, to be fair, it made it more compelling as this story has evolved, to be fair. It is evolving uh, and it seems to be getting uh, weirder and weirder. Um, so what are you going to do next? Uh, do you plan a follow-up to your book, Factor Fiction? 
I think if there was enough substance, yes. Um, I, I think what I've sort of been turning my mind to is is the timeline of, of what's happened um, over the last six months and how almost frighteningly accurate this book has turned out to be. Um, you know, as I say, we when we last spoke, we didn't use the word coronavirus or COVID uh, or pandemic. And every single day now, this is probably the most used word, most searched word on the planet. Um, so I'm, I'm, if you like, researching the parallels and seeing if there is a narrative to, to run alongside what is happening in the world today as we know it. So again, give me the the, uh, the publication date of Jameson's book, One of 26, which 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 talks about this pandemic. Well, it came out, uh, it was about two years ago. And then there was a follow-up edition, like a revised edition that came out a few months ago. Um, but if you search online, you'll see date mark references from, I think it's about April 2018. Um, to confirm that it, it did exist, and that, that there was a there was another interview on some um, little website with him. So it definitely existed then um, in, in, in an earlier form, and and it uh, which is one that I read, and then the later form it was revised a couple of months ago. And as far as I can see, it was just cut down a bit. And the references to pandemic, the pandemic, and a vaccine; those are in the 2018 edition. Uh, most definitely. One of the one of the sole reasons for this this so-called timeline is about the pandemic. It's the crux of everything that that was the part of the, the core of the story. Um, they talk about, and again, this is so interesting. You know, they talk about not not a, like a global conflict, but they talk about society going, you know, breaking down street by street, town by town, city by city. Now, you look at what's happened in the aftermath of. Um, the, the tragic killing of, well, the murder of George Floyd, for example. Right. And you look at the breakdown of society there. You look at what's happening in Belarus. Um, you look at what's happening in Brazil. You know, there are all sorts of little parallels, little subplots that kind of tie into what is alluded to within the book. Um, now, one or two things you can take, because anyone who writes fiction will write it from the basis of, of fact. That's how you build things. But to have um, a story that has so many different components to it, uh, and the pandemic being the big one, and of course the hunt for the vaccine, which is the big focus now, um, it, it kind of read about, it read almost like a, a foretelling of what's going to happen. Right, right. And the the race riots that have taken place, uh, is it suggested in Jameson's book that those also were um, uh, fomented intentionally by one of these individuals from the other timeline? No, n- not in the slightest. And, and the, 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 the aftermath of the George Floyd killing, uh, ha- there is no reference to it in the book and there's no reference to race at all. But the reference of town by town, street by street, city by city, neighbor by neighbor, um, kind of alludes to what we're seeing at the moment as it unfolds. And of course, another thing that was very interesting to me was the whole thing about quarantine zones and the containment of people, which is a subject within the book. And of course, we've had the ever-developing story, the, the Ouija Muslims in China. Yes. 
Um, now, I, I was looking at this. Now, I'll just run through a couple of things. In, in November 2019, there was a huge document disclosure about these internment camps, um, which obviously the Chinese de denied. Um, you know, then you go on to this is where it becomes very weird. Uh, Li, when Liang, the doctor, who remember the doctor who disclosed coronavirus yes, yes. in Wuhan? Now, yes. He was silenced by the authorities. Yes. He died on the 7th of February of coronavirus. On the 14th of February, yeah, the World Health Organization tweeted that the Chinese authorities confirmed there's no clear evidence of human-to-human -human transmission. Right. Right? Then, on the 10th of February, Chinese New Year started. Oh, sorry, from January the 10th for 40 days. Right. From, from January the 10th until the lockdown the 23rd of January, there were 5 million journeys made by people within Wuhan and the surrounding area. Yes. Yes. Um, of course, after that, on the 8th of February, sorry, the 9th of February, Dr. Jing Dongyang from Hong Kong said it's definitely now too late to contain the virus. So, very similar parallels about a virus and how it's spread in containment. And I think what the most disturbing thing was when I did my research was the gap, the 14th of January, from the World Health Organization saying it's fine, to Chinese New Year on the 10th of January, to a lockdown on the 23rd of January. That nine day period was absolutely crucial because that is where the pandemic spread. Right, they were, they were putting these people on planes and instructed to fly hither and yon, although it's interesting that uh, you know, these, this virus didn't spread to Beijing. In other words, the residents of Wuhan were, were I don't know, instructed not to travel within China, but simply to travel abroad. Well, not, not the, there were five million journeys, the majority of which were internally, and there's no doubt about it, there was a significant spread of the virus within the region. But, and this is where I draw the parallel between Kaliuk in the book uh, and Li Xiping, uh, the, the Chinese president, is it, it was the perfect opportunity because it, it kind of weaponized the power base. So in China, when you look at it now, and you look at what's happening in the South China Seas, for example, um, you look at what's happening in the Himalayas um, between China and India, because they've had a massive argument. Yes. Uh, and you have a look at the trade wars that China have put in place. Um, the world is turning away from anything because of this pandemic. Right, right. So I look at that, and I look at the book, and I look and I think, well, the, the character Kalik is almost similar. You know, the control that, that, that he has, allegedly in this book, over his people, um, is very similar. Right. So Karluk um, is, is, is President Z. Well, <laughs> I'm not saying that for one minute, but what I'm saying is that for a book to come out two, two years ago initially and, and you know, is, is circulating, there are, parallel, there are definite parallels there between the two people. One obviously is, as, as far as we're aware, a fictional character or could be based on testament, and one is very definitely real. So the, 
I don't know if Jameson covers this in the book in his interviews with these 26 individuals, but for those that Anton and um, uh, Steve Garner that supposedly traveled back in time in order to secure a, a, a vaccine or material to develop a vaccine, Yes. What timeline did they come from? Uh, now or in in the not too distant future? When did when did they yeah. when did they where did they come from? Well, according to the book, the year twenty six eighteen, so about six hundred years in the future. Oh, now that's that's a whole new wrinkle. Well, I know. Yes. So twenty six eighteen. That's the date in the book. Yes. Which suggests what? That the coronavirus, this pandemic, is going to be with us for another six hundred years? Is that the? Is that what's being um, impl- or suggested here? Um, I'm not sure. I, I think I think what the suggestion is, and scientists have come out of the woodwork this week and said we will live with this virus forever. We, it will never ever go away. Um, it, which again is an interesting twist because it's the parallel, isn't it? There's a suggestion that there is a virus in five, six hundred years' time that's absolutely wreaked havoc through society. Um, and we have scientists that have come out this week, and you can Google search them anywhere, and they say, We will never ever get rid of coronavirus. We have to live with this virus for the rest of time. Ah, okay. So in 600 years, supposedly, there will be another outbreak. Another coronavirus outbreak. This one will be really bad, and that's when the decision is made to send uh, Anton and uh, Steve Garner back in time in order to collect material, possibly antibodies, because now we we're we are dealing with the coronavirus. Except you would think that they would send them back to the start of the outbreak. Um, not necessarily. If no? you No, because if you think about it, every single lab that is developing a vaccine, and that's ultimately probably where you try and nick the compounds from, they will all be on high security, especially after the allegations of hacking by the Chinese and the Russians. So you would go back in a point in time where the, the compounds are probably more plentiful because they're not being used and there are no suspicions around uh, and I did think of exactly that point. Why wouldn't you go back in the middle and grab some antibodies or, or grab whatever you need? But then when you twist it around, you think, well, you know, if you're going to go and uh, nick some toilet roll from a supermarket, you do it, you know, six months ago. You don't do it now when everyone's after toilet roll. Right, right. That makes sense. Now, the other interesting parallel is that these types of vaccines typically will take years to develop. And now we're being told it's going to be completed uh, phase three and all the clinical trials you know in less than a year which is unheard of but if if there is a time travel component here maybe that's the answer well yes and and the the book opens up with a section based in paris um in i think it's sort of like early mid 2300s where they're going in and trying to find land for farming and Paris is basically a wasteland. So the the suggestion is this thing hangs around for quite a bit. And it doesn't sound like it's it's something that happens bang today and then tomorrow the whole world is on its knees. It's a gradual process. 
Um, and in fact, it talks about that. You know, the, the discussion of the street to street, town to town, city to city collapse of society is is basically a, a narrative that runs all the way through. But there was another interesting point within that that talked about the imposition of quota, individual quota allowances for the use of carbon. So your carbon emissions effectively in the future will be measured by an app. And once you run out, you run out. Um, and there was, part of the book talked about how entire streets and towns and cities were basically in blackout because they'd run out of their carbon quota allowances. Hmm. <laughs> we're seeing a little bit of that in California right now. Well, yes. And of course, you know, one of the biggest triggers in the economies of the world and the Achilles heel is, is energy. So, of course, anything that can um, halt the usage or reduce the usage of energy is a massively important thing. Now, I, I wonder, and we've got this conversation date marked, is that another thing that's going to come in over the next five to ten years? Well, I've often wondered if, if that's what part of the pandemic is all about. It's a beta test to see how malleable the population is, how controllable will... The, Will they take their marching orders, uh, you know, willingly? And, uh, you know, what will be the next big scare uh, to keep us, you know, to keep us in line? Will it be, you know, in, in some impending climate catastrophe? Uh, and, you know, given that we, we took the coronavirus, um, you know, sort of hook, line and sinker, we're more likely to, to, to follow orders regarding climate. So, I go back to a word I used earlier with regards to China, weaponizing these things. Exactly. So if you weaponize, you weaponize a virus, you weaponize the, um, the climate um, and, and the, the issues we have facing the climate. Now, there are real issues in the climate. There's no doubt about that, in my opinion. But um, the book talks about these individual quotas basically give a household an amount of carbon energy in effect that they can use and when they run out they run out so they have to ration themselves now what could be a bigger trigger towards social unrest than saying i'm sorry but you can't have any electricity for the next three days because you use your washing machine three times right i see what you're saying that's what that's the source of the civil unrest it's not necessarily the uh what's happening now with Antifa and, and Black Lives Matter. This could be related to uh, quotas on carbon. The, exactly. The, the, the Black Lives Matter thing is, is, is nothing about anything apart from, obviously, a very sad incident and the fact that it sparked a tremendous amount of civil unrest. Um, and it was like a powder keg. It just blew up. Um, you've got a similar situation. If you if you turn around to a family and said you have no electricity for the next three weeks because you use it all on your PlayStation, what what are they going to do? They're not going to sit there in darkness and just not do anything, are they? No, it it would be bedlam. Uh, that would be the breaking point for most people. They would pick up their torches and pitchforks for sure. Uh, yes, Colin. How do we? This is uh, if people are just sort of now learning about this story and they want to go back to the beginning and and uh, I think fact or fiction uh, would be a great primer uh, fact or fiction the Paris and M6 crashes how do they get a copy um, just search on online I think it's uh, it's definitely online or just contact me um, at uh, Colin Z Hall 
uh, online at Twitter and I can direct them. And I welcome debate. I mean, you know, like I say, I've always remained very, very pragmatic about this. This is more about the parallels. So they can find it if they search for it. If they want to get in touch with me, I'll point them in a direction. All right. Well, um, stay in touch and uh, keep me abreast of any new developments because this just continues to evolve. It's amazing. Thank you. I know I will. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in about a minute to share a few details about an upcoming episode. One tablespoon of ESS-60 from C60 Evo helps keep me pain-free, energized, and mentally focused. And I'm sleeping so much better since I started taking ESS-60 back in November. ESS-60 is the consumable form of C60, the miracle molecule discovered by Nobel Prize winning chemists in the 1990s. ESS-60 is a mega antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. Check out the Paris study, a peer-reviewed scientific study online, where ESS-60 suspended in olive oil was fed to rats. The rats fed ESS-60 lived almost twice their normal lifespan. I can't sit here and tell you I'm gonna live to be 112, but I'm 56 and I haven't felt this youthful, energized and pain-free since I was in my 20s. ESS-60 from C60 Evo. If you want to discover the benefits of this amazing miracle molecule for yourself, go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the link for c60evo.com. And don't forget to use the code RS1SPEC when ordering, and you'll receive an additional 5% off. ESS-60, the miracle molecule from C60 Evo. It's changed my life. Discover what it can do for you. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA and is not intended to cure, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, Carl Gallops shares startling new insights on the Antichrist, the end of days, and the construction of the Third Temple. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>